Okay, welcome to another edition of Not Fake News. Exposing and analyzing misinformation, disinformation, and no information in the news. By me, Mike T., your Ivy League conservative and former Democrat who has come to his senses. I'm coming to you from the great Midwest, flyover country, Cleveland, Ohio. Before I get to the subject of today's podcast, let me say that there was a murder trial in St. Louis last week, this past week, for a man who killed retired police officer David Dorn during the summer of rioting in 2020. Y'all might remember that Officer Dorn's death made national news at the time in 2020, But in 2022, when Officer Dorn's assailant goes on trial for murdering Officer Dorn, the main news outlets failed to report it. Neither the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, nor the USA Today bothered to cover the event. Failing to report newsworthy events is perhaps the most effective form of propaganda. If it is not reported, then it must not be important. Nothing to be concerned about. Just like daily deaths of migrants at the border. Can't get agitated about a news event that does not get reported. It is just as bad as fake news. Because when a newsworthy event purposely gets ignored, there is a reason. The reason not to report on the trial of a man who killed a retired police officer who was merely trying to help a friend by protecting merchandise from looters and arsonists, is that it does not fit the narrative that the 2020 riots were peaceful protests against systemic racism by white cops. Well, here you have a black cop trying to protect a black-owned business, and he gets killed by a black hoodlum. This kind of irresponsible journalism needs to be exposed. And I expect the New York Times and the USA Today to ignore this kind of event. But the Wall Street Journal, shame on you, Wall Street Journal, for ignoring a news event like this and for ignoring the border crisis on a daily basis. All right, on to today's podcast, which is entitled... What in the world is going on with moderate, hardworking, country-loving Democrats? And how and why are they still voting for Democrat candidates? Now, this podcast was inspired by a New York Times Magazine story published a couple of weeks ago entitled, The Vanishing Moderate Democrat. Their positions are popular, so why are they going extinct? The article focuses on certain Democrats in Congress who are struggling to get reelected because they are not exciting the increasingly radical Democratic Party base. This is creating, wait for it, quote, existential crisis among moderate Democrats, end quote. It's the New York Times. They like that word existential crisis. The young wizards of SMART have declared that the Democratic Party has a problem as a toxic brand. Imagine that. So, of course, 
The answer is not to change the dangerous, toxic policies leading to the destruction of our country. No, no, no. The Democratic strategic experts and consultants want to treat this as a branding problem. Let's go get some focus groups together and come up with a more appealable product. Listen, it was painful, but I read the whole thing. And before I get to more of the article, I must ask a basic question. My question is, if the national democratic policy is so far left, and after 18 months of the Biden administration with wide open southern border, where Biden's so-called humane border policy results in the deaths of several migrants every day, and where uh, the policy is spending like a drunken, a drunken Marxist, leading to record high inflation, purposefully curtailing energy production to make way for the Green New Deal, and resulting in record high prices in gasoline and diesel fuel, and a weak, purposeful destruction of our military and disastrous foreign policy decisions, with all this, my question is, why would the average, moderate, patriotic, flag-waving Democrat stay in this party and continue to vote for Democratic candidates? Now, as a former Democrat, I must say that this is not a simple question with a simple answer. People cling to political party affiliations for a number of reasons, and they are complicated. For me, as a young Democrat, I thought Richard Nixon was a crook, and I could not relate to Ronald Reagan. I liked Jimmy Carter, and I gave him the benefit of the doubt. More importantly for me was the fact that I was active in the local Democratic Party organization and generally liked and supported Democrat candidate because they seemed to genuinely care about improving neighborhoods and government systems. And of course, I became a Democratic candidate myself, initially running for Cleveland City Council against an entrenched, powerful council member, and later twice as a countywide judicial candidate. To cut the suspense, I lost all three races, though not for lack of effort. Each time I took on the Democratic machine, and that usually does not work out so well for the challenger, no matter what party he challenges. I also believed naively that the Democrat Party rewarded effort and valued merit. If you hustled and visited enough ward clubs and met enough people door to door, then you could convince enough voters to elect you into office and replace your less energetic opponent. So in my case, in 1985, since I resided in a Democrat-dominated city, Cleveland, and I wanted to be elected to office, and because Democrat policy was not so much different from Republican policy, both believed in law and order. Remember, this is 1985. They both believed in respect for police, 
They both believed in holding parents accountable for wayward children, and they both believed in the pursuit of the American dream. So I remained a Democrat. In fact, it never occurred to me that I should even consider joining the Republican Party until I became a Christian in 1988. But even then, I believed in the big tent theory, that the Democratic Party tent was big enough to hold anti-abortion Democrats, which is what I was. Besides, there were not enough Republicans in Cuyahoga County to elect anybody. In order to win as a Republican in Cuyahoga County, one had to be unopposed or be a legacy candidate whose father or grandfather held office or be independently wealthy. I was none of those. So I ran for judge in 2000-2006 as a conservative Democrat using good old shoe leather. And I was wrong, of course. But just to finish my story, I switched parties in 2006 after the Democrat Party leaders turned their backs on me and my loyalty to the party in favor of a less qualified candidate who apparently had better Democratic Party connections. In other words, his father a Democratic donor, a Democrat IOUs out there, plenty of them. My father was a bricklayer struggling to find work to support six kids. He had no time for politics. You can call it favoritism or corruption or whatever, whatever you want. I call it unfair, but hey, life is not fair, is it? Now, let me be clear. I am not saying there is no favoritism, corruption, or unfairness in the Republican Party. In fact, I have personally experienced some of that, but that's for another podcast. Back to the Democrat question. As a Democrat, I believed in the integrity of the public servant, that public service was a special calling, that elected officials and government employees could make a difference in improving not only government, but the condition of our fellow humans. When I was a Democrat, Law and order was important to Democrats, so were truth, honesty, and hard work. I admired Democrats who earned office by outworking their opponents. I was unabashedly pro-life, pro-gun. I took a stance. I was tough on criminals. Even as late as 2006, which is 16 years ago, these positions were commonly held by many Democrats. There were lots of moderate Democrats. In fact, moderate Democrats were the majority of the Democrat Party. But much has happened since 2006. We had two terms of Obama and his attempts at fundamental transformation of our country. We had George Soros-backed prosecutors winning office in big cities. And then came 2020. The pandemic, the summer of riots, the wholesale changes in voting by hundreds of millions of private Democrat money to rig an election. All of this went on. And as ex-Clevelander Dan Henninger points out in the Wall Street Journal, since the death of George Floyd in the summer of 2020, the politics of the Democratic Party were transformed. The Floyd protests were accompanied by Violence, destruction, lootings, and even death. Of 
quoting Henninger here. Quote, the Floyd protests appear to have permanently altered the Democratic Party's basic political model, moving it away from trans traditional legislative politics and toward the uncompromising, often theatrical, strategies of activists in the streets, end quote. And then he goes on to quote, since May of 2020, Democratic Party has gradually disconnected from normal political processes. The post-2020 Democratic Party's theory of politics appears to be the system no longer works, so blow it up by issuing presidential executive orders on climate, education, gun and abortion, ending the legislative filibuster, packing the Supreme Court, suppressing dissent as, quote, misinformation, unquote, and if necessary, redefining reality, such as the 1619 Project, which rewrote the country's history. Of course, the New York Times fully embraced and promoted this new political course. This new course of action left law and order Democrats behind, forcing them to watch and cringe at the chaos and destruction that the new policy had created. Anyway, back to the New York Times Magazine article. The article calls attention to the rise and fall of the so-called Problem Solvers Caucus, a group that started out with 29 Democrats and 29 Republicans who aspired to the goal of bipartisan compromise in Congress. At present, the Democrats hold a 10-seat majority in the House of Representatives. It is expected that the Democrats will lose that majority in the 2022 midterm elections. In fact, polls indicate that the Democrats will lose big if they are restrained from cheating and stealing votes. The New York Times Magazine writer asks, and I quote, the consequential question, not just for moderates, but for all Democrats, is whether this projected midterm wipeout is merely a cyclical occurrence or the manifestation of a much deeper and more intractable problem. Over the last decade, the Democratic Party has moved significantly to the left on almost every salient political issue, end quote. The writer continues on social, cultural, and religious issues, particularly those related to criminal justice, race, abortion, and gender identity. The Democrats have taken up ideological stances that many of the college-educated voters who now make up the sizable portion of the Democratic base these guys cheer it on, but the rest of the electorate does not. So when the New York Times concludes that the Democratic Party has lost its way with its own moderate voters, and that as a result will lose power in Congress, Democrats should pay attention. But the New York Times also warns us that the alternative to Democrat control is far worse from what they fear is a right-wing radicalism. You know, people protecting themselves with guns, convincing teen mothers to not abort perfectly healthy babies, or not have sex in the first place, having to prove who you are before you vote, and preventing terrorists, drug smugglers, 
and dangerous gang members from invading the wide open southern border. You know, radical stuff like that. In an effort to avoid this catastrophe of the right-wing radicalism, the New York Times Magazine set out to talk to the experts, the, the so-called progressive experts. Here's the answer. You ready? Change tactics and tools. Do better marketing. Not changing policies, but, but they want to put less messaging on some policies and more messaging on other less offensive policies. You see, the Democrats have figured out that they cannot get elected on the radical economic and Green New Deal policies and brainwashing kids in schools. So that all Dems need to do is listen to a 29-year-old Democratic pollster who told the New York Times Magazine reporter, and I quote, do a lot of polling to determine the popularity of various policy proposals. Then, when talking to voters, Democratic candidates should emphasize the popular ideas and de-emphasize the unpopular ones, even if that means emphasizing smaller, more incremental, more moderate policies, end quote. Wow. They even have a name for this so-called electoral theory. It's called popularism. I call that electoral strategy deception. Clearly, this is not your father's Democratic Party. So the question remains, are the traditional moderate public employee or union worker Democrats even paying attention to the 2022 Democrat policies? I don't know how they can avoid it with $5 a a gallon gasoline. If so, why are they still voting Democrat? That question, of course, is not answered in the New York Times Magazine article. I guess we will find out in November whether the Democratic Party's new strategy of deception works. But here's a logical question. If Democrats admit that they will employ a strategy of deliberate deception as a means to get elected, why is it so hard to imagine that Democrats would employ a strategy to steal an election? The Democrats in charge are not trying to moderate any of their so-called progressive policies. They hit the ground running in January of 2021, dismantling every one of Trump's executive orders, no matter how good they were for the country. And they were just getting started. You don't like $5 gasoline prices? Buy a Tesla. Or just don't drive as much. You must do your part to save the planet from the existential threat of climate change. If you decide you don't want to support Democrat candidates who support progressive agenda and decide not to vote, don't worry. Someone will cast a vote for you. It happened over 400,000 times in the 2020 election. Watch the movie, 2,000 Mules. Remember, the goal of the so-called progressive agenda is to load government with unemotional experts, partisan experts, who make decisions for you because you are too stupid to know what is in your best interests. And so why do moderate Democrats still vote for a radical far-left party? Here's here's where fake news plays a significant role. 
The average moderate Democrat doesn't even know how far left their party has become. The Democrat-controlled media either refuses to disclose news about persons suffering as a result of their disastrous Democrat policies, or they distort, deflect, and deceive so Biden's disastrous policies don't look so bad, or they say those policies aren't optimum but it will be a lot worse under any Republican like Trump. I mean, after all, we almost lost our democracy on January 6th, right? Worst historical event ever, right? Worse than 9-11. Worse than the bombing of Pearl Harbor, right? What can be done? My friend Joe suggests getting back to regular roundtable. He's a carpenter, so he likes roundtable discussions. At the library between moderate Dems and moderate Republicans. While this is a great idea to open dialogue, I doubt very much it will lead to a political party switch. Voting is complicated. Changing party affiliation will take serious internal self-examination. In my case, it took a realization that the Democratic Party would never support me. A conservative Christian who opposes abortion, who is not willing to trade favors, who does not have connections, and who is not a member of the special club of influencers. So maybe we start with this question. Who is a Democrat who approves of the direction that this country is going in? Is the average Democrat public school teacher okay with teaching CRT or participating in pronoun identification exercises instead of phonics and math? Here's my concern. If the average Democrat does not like the direction of the country is heading in, but won't leave the Democratic Party, how will he or she vote in November? That's right, only two pronouns here. I am hoping that for Senate and congressional seats, in an effort to stop this country's radical slide downward, the average Democrat voter will vote for a Republican in order to halt the slide, stop the bleeding, and help restore sanity and some balance for the sake of the country. I hope it is more than wishful thinking. Until next time, this is Mike T saying thanks for listening. And remember, never, never take for granted the blessings of liberty established for us and our children by our great constitution. Read it, learn it, defend it against our enemies. Fake news is real. It's dangerous. It's everywhere. So stay informed, be engaged. Our republic depends on you to keep it.